So my sobriety date is March 1st, 2018. Just celebrated four years of sobriety off of all mind-altering substances and alcohol. Uh, I Normally what happens for the newcomers, normally what happens in these kind of meetings, we like to share what life was like, kind of what happened, and then what our life is like today. And I know uh, I was told by an old-timer in the program the first time I did this afterwards, he said, Matt, you know, you told a lot about what it was like, but when you have a short amount of time, you want to speak to the solution. So I don't really want to get into too much of the drinking and the drugging and the the bottom because it was pretty you know rough. But that it also says in the literature that we need to tell what it was like so that they trust us, and that's a big deal about it because you know coming in here saying I was clean, yeah, but you don't know my story, you know. And it's hard, it's hard for people to listen to uh, somebody. It, but once, my experience has been once I've, I heard somebody with longer time than me tell about what it was like and just how rough it was, then it's like, oh yeah, okay. He kind of thinks like me. Um, and I can then open up and be honest because a lot of times I didn't want to open up and be honest. I had a real problem being honest when I came in to recovery. I was... Uh, I was married at the time. My daughter was about four or five years old, um, maybe about three or four, when I was really hitting rock bottom. I had um, I had my own business, but the business was really struggling because I couldn't keep clients. I didn't I didn't have clients that wanted to refer me to people um, because I was lying and showing up late and showing up at weird hours and my eyes were foggy red from smoking weed all the time and um, you know being on all kinds of pills and drugs so I didn't have the referrals that I needed to grow my business and I would I had run up a bunch of debt I had about three hundred and thirty thousand dollars of of business loans from banks and credit cards about sixty eight thousand in credit cards um, because it's just I just needed that one more swipe you know so uh, I my daughter um, you know that was the that was kind of the worst part about all of this is, is that she had to see some of this stuff you know um, but I think higher power puts people in your life and takes people away from your life to wake people up <laughs> and uh, my granddad passed away in 2017, and that was one of the real awakenings for me. That was, I'd never lost anybody that I was close to. He was one of those granddads that taught me how to garden, how to you know, spend a lot of time with him as a, as a kid. And uh, when he passed away, it really shook me up. I was at the funeral. I had smoked weed like a little bit before the funeral, so because that's what I do when I was happy, sad, tired, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I would drink and drug. And so I don't really remember, uh, you know, the funeral at all, um, a, a little bit, but just the whole aftermath of, of that event was one of those flags in the ground where I realized I'm in a bad spot. And, uh, 
my wife tried to get me to go to therapy. She thought it was a marriage counseling thing. So we tried to go to a marriage counselor a couple times and it got to the point where he finally looked at us and he looked at me and said, I can't fix this until you get fixed and you get help. He pointed to me. Um, so I didn't like that. <laughs> I fired him. Uh, I, I didn't want to hear that because the problem wasn't me. The problem was everybody else. <laughs> I, I was blaming it on my mother-in-law, blaming it on my parents, blaming it on my brother, blaming it on my, the banks that wanted their money back, blaming it on the customers for leaving me. It was a pity party. Um, but I didn't stop because I couldn't stop using. I, I didn't stop to look at me and my part in all this stuff because uh, the drugs and that drinking really had me. And I know this is not an NA meeting. This is an AA meeting, but prescribed medications was a part of my problem, you know. Um, when I drank, it led to everything else. It led to spending. It led to uh, acting out sexually. It led to overeating. It led to smoking weed and then it, then overeating. You know, it led to all these things that were just major problems. Um, and I didn't realize that it, it started with the drinking part. Um, when I was in high school, I had my first drink, and it was like euphoria. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. And I remember exactly what it was. I heard, I heard somewhere on a speaker tape, on an AA speaker tape, this guy said, if you remember what your first drink was, when it was, what it was, where it was, you might be an alcoholic. <laughs> you know, I could ask my wife, and she doesn't remember what it was, you know. But I can tell you exactly what it was, where it was, when it was, and how I felt. Uh, I've ever, whenever I started drinking, I would always drink to get as drunk as I could, as quick as I could. It, it wasn't really a social thing. It was, I thought it was a social thing, but it was really just, um, I'd get wasted any chance I could. <laughs> uh, but it, it didn't start that way. It didn't start, it, it started out to fit in. Um, but then it got to where every day after work it was you pour a bourbon you, know, you, you go to the refrigerator you put the ice in, in the highball glass and you fill it full of whiskey or bourbon and um, then after three or four of those then it switched to wine and I, I would drink red wine until I went to bed and I would take a glass with me to bed and set it behind you know beside the, the bed on the nightstand uh, that was normal that was normal um, every night but I didn't think I had a problem with it because I did it every day <laughs> that was just I, I was real good at it right that, and I didn't realize that, that was the issue uh, my so I'd run up a, I'd run up a bunch of debt I'd borrowed 30 grand from my dad uh, that ran out a couple months later then I borrowed 25 grand from my dad for the business of course the business but I wasn't keeping good records I wasn't keeping anything straight I didn't have any handle on my finances and uh, banks wouldn't lend me any more money because I didn't pay back the first loan credit cards got maxed out when an addict runs out of money the bottom's close the bottom's real close I didn't realize it at the time but my uh, and, and when we say bottom the bottom is is that point when you, 
that point when I hit rock bottom was when I just surrendered. They say surrendering is when you kind of wave the white flag at war. You know, you're, you give up. They tell you to sit on the curb and wait for instructions. You just say, I give up. I'm going to sit on the curb and wait for instructions. That's where I was when I hit rock bottom. I, uh, my, my wife had been speaking with my uncle who had 30 years of sobriety in AA. And I didn't realize that. I mean, I knew he had sobriety, but I didn't realize she'd been talking with him. But she had been getting coaching. And one of the things he had told her was, you need to help raise his bottom. So, you know, if this is where I'm going to hit rock bottom, we want to do whatever we can to raise that up so he doesn't have to get so low. He doesn't have to lose everything. And so my wife was told to transfer the money from our savings account over to her mom's account to just get it out of my spending arm. And that made me flip out because that was my next plan was to go there. Um, we went to another marriage counseling, and while we were at the counseling, she was having the doors on the house locks changed. Uh, I didn't realize that. After counseling, she tried to get me to go in the car with her to go to the hospital to get help. I refused and got in my car, went by the house. The locksmith was there changing the locks, so I was kicked out of my house. Spent about a week sleeping out of my Tahoe. That wasn't very fun. Um, but that was a rude awakening. You know, I'm homeless, technically. Uh, she didn't want me to see the daughter, my daughter. That was heart heartbreaking. Daughter went to stay with the in-laws for a couple of days. So that's kind of what I went through when I hit bottom. I finally gave up. Nobody was talking to me except my mom was the only one that would answer the phone. And she said, if... If the three people, three most important people in your life are telling you to get help, would you please just listen and try to get help? And finally, I, I had enough. I had no more money, and I finally said, I, I'm ready to go get help. I went to, I ended up going to outpatient treatment, and I did that for 30 days. Uh, there I learned about group meetings. I learned the value of hearing other people's struggles I learned the value of, you know, uh, being able to share openly, anonymously. That was a huge thing for me. Uh, so after outpatient treatment, they said, the way you get out of here, which I was very interested in getting out of there, is they said, you get enrolled in the 12-step program or you get involved in the 12-step program and start seeing an addiction therapist. When I met, and I said, sure, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, I met with this addiction therapist and I only came in to treatment thinking I needed to get off of Adderall because that was treating that like cocaine. And I needed to get off of Xanax and pills and then uh, weed. I knew I needed to get off of weed. I, needed, I couldn't be productive and be a good dad on weed. I knew I needed to stop that shit. Um, but so I'm telling you that because I didn't come into the program to stop drinking. I came in to get off the drugs. But when I was meeting with my addiction therapist, after about three or four sessions, <clears throat> I said, man, I'll read whatever you... He said, you got any literature? I, I'm just trying to work on this. And he, he slid me a book, and it was his Navy book about this thick, 
and there wasn't a name on it, but he slid it to me face down. When I looked at it, it said Alcoholics Anonymous kind of in Braille on the front, you know. Mm-hmm. I was like, shit. And I put it down. I was pissed. Uh, you know, I didn't, I'm not an alcoholic is what I was thinking. I'm not an alcoholic. Because um, I had heard all these stigmas. I, I didn't live under a bridge. You know, I didn't black out every second I drank. I didn't drink at six in the morning every day. All those things I'd heard as a kid to put me in this box. Um, he said, look, just, and this is kind of a suggestion to anybody that's new in the program, just start reading a few pages in the book and see if you can relate. And if you can relate, then let's, let's talk about it. Maybe highlight it or underline it. I'm going to give you my book, he said, and bring it back next week and let's, let's see what we can relate to. So after reading the first 30 pages or so, um, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, a, this is, this is so me. Uh, what I did though that helped me was I, I substituted, in the beginning, I substituted um, whatever my problem was. So if I knew it was Adderall or pills or weed, I, I would just, wherever it said alcohol, I would just substitute that word. That really helped me a lot to kind of think of, oh, I don't have a drinking problem, I got this problem. And uh, the part that really set, clicked with me and was kind of a light bulb was around the very beginning of the book. I would highly suggest you take a look at it. It's called The Doctor's Opinion. If anybody has looked at that, The Doctor's Opinion he says alcoholism equals a physical allergy plus a mental obsession. So a physical allergy would be like, and it, they relate it to like a peanut allergy. And then the, the obsession part was, you know, have you ever, do you ever do things obsessively? <laughs> I'm like, yes. You know, uh, I could talk for an hour about that, but just that whole physical allergy part combined with that mental obsession part, it clicked. And I grew up with a shellfish allergy. When I was 11 years old, I went to an all-you-could-eat crab leg night, and I about didn't make it out to the parking lot because my, my throat swelled up because I had too much crab legs. Um, it was my birthday. And so the allergist said, Matt, let me be very clear with you. You have a shellfish allergy. It's not one of those things where you eat one shrimp today, two shrimp tomorrow, three shrimp the next day, and you build a tolerance for it. You're allergic to it. You, you can die. So when I read in this doctor's opinion, when he talked about the physical allergy, you can die if you eat peanut butter. You can die if you eat you know, shellfish. It, it dawned on me, oh, okay, I need to treat this like I have a peanut allergy like I have a shellfish allergy. If I treat it that way and think about it that way, when it comes time to order it at the restaurant, order drinks, I'm good with water, I'm good with tea, I'm good right now. It, you know, it, it helped me think about the next couple days, how am I gonna deal with this? Um, so I, I went to my first AA meeting and I heard a guy tell my story he had a problem with other things besides just alcohol, but yet he, he was at an AA meeting, and, he, and I could relate to him a lot. Um, I asked him to be my temporary sponsor for the next 30 days. He said, yep, I'll be your sponsor if you call me every morning at 7 a.m., and let's just check in for just a few minutes every morning so, for 30 days. And that's what I did for 30 days, and he helped me with those. Uh, a lot of times what they call it is this, there's this shit wave 
You know, you've been, we've been doing all these things. I've been, I had created all this problem in, in my life and every avenue of my life that was issues. Well, just because I stopped drinking and drugging today didn't mean those things didn't stop coming. So he helped me navigate the, the shit wave. What, what are the pressures today? What are we going to talk about today? How are we going to handle this? I had to start thinking differently and not trusting me because my thinking had got, had got me here. Um, I had caused all this stuff. So I needed help. And this guy was a, was a gift of God. He, he didn't have any interest in lying to me. He had no al- alternative motive. He was just wanting to help because somebody had helped him one day. And to me, that was a miracle. That's what I needed. So fast forward, he, we started working the steps. Uh, and I've, I've, I took the, the approach of working them a little bit. I took a little longer than I hear some people take because I had heard people that came into the program that said after they relapsed, I came in, I worked the steps half-ass, and then I left. And then I, I went back out. And I didn't want to do that. I, I, I had had enough. As my therapist said, you know, Matt, when are you going to hang up the shovel and stop digging your hole? Every day you go out and you're using and you're using and you're, you're just digging the hole deeper. When are you going to hang up the shovel? That's what I needed to hear. I wanted to see my daughter back. I wanted to you know, have my relationship with my wife again. Uh, I wanted my parents to talk to me. I wanted the whole circle to be back, but I couldn't fix that until I started working the steps and trying to be sober just for a day, just for an hour many times. Uh, one, one meal at a time, a lot of times. <laughs> for some reason, meal time's triggering for, us, for, for, for a lot of alcoholics because uh, that's what we did. So I worked the steps and there was... There was a lot of writing. There was a lot of writing out my thoughts, writing out what, ha- what happened in, the, in those situations. Uh, when it got to where it was time to share some of these things with my sponsor, I found a lot of times when I shared these things, he would very quickly reply back with, oh, yeah, I did that. Let me tell you what also did on top of that. You know, it, and so it, there was this immediate, I'm not just talking to a priest. I'm not just talking to a doctor that's, you know, graduated med school. I'm not talking to my wife who can't relate. I'm talking to a person that's been in my shoes that now is sober. Um, So that was huge. After I'd shared all these secrets in step four, step five, and and gotten my slate clean uh, to the best of my ability, I started to, to figure out what my character defects are you know when I get back into a corner these character defects start to come out that's ego that's self-centeredness greed you know lust um, manipulation Uh, so I I learned these 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 things that I need to work on and get help with Um, that's kind of in the step six and seven what really started to set me free, though, was when I, when I started to make these amends to people that I had harmed. I'm sure we've all heard about that process. 
uh, I, I, I wanted to run out to ex-girlfriends and run out to uh, clients right away when I started working the steps and I was told by my sponsor, you know, whoa, 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 we've got to work them in order. We really need to work these, these steps in order. We got to get through one, two, three, four before we jump to nine. I wanted to jump to nine real quick because uh, I thought that's where the relief was. Uh, but people had heard so many times me tell them I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm good, I'm clean, I'm straight, I'm not gonna do it again. That they didn't, that was kind of going in one ear and out the other. That's why I was told, that's why we don't jump to nine. There's this little order we follow uh, and it's there for a reason. And each one of them is very important in their own right. Today, I have a wonderful job. I just started a job last week. Or actually, Monday was my first day at this new job. Uh, I love it. I think it's right in my wheelhouse. I have a connection with my higher power today. I choose to call him God. But uh, at first, I didn't have a relationship with a higher power when I came into here. I grew up in a house where my dad was deacon of the church. It was kind of, you know, beating the Bible over your head when you're a kid kind of thing. Um, I heard a lot of things that would make me go to hell when I was growing up, and I knew I was going to hell at an early age. So I kind of had a this, this uh, I didn't want to come in here to hear about church. I just wanted to stop drinking. That's, that's it. And I was told, no problem. You come to the right place. We just need to help you find a higher power. If that's this group, if that's something else that's outside of the group, that's fine. But finding a higher power was a key part of this program. And today I have my own concept of what that higher power is. I have this own, you know, I, my God is a loving God. My God wants to see me do well. My God's not out to condemn me and <laughs> beat me up for what I've done in the past. I, I think I've, I've, I've just got a great relationship with the higher power today that I didn't have. And that's the core. My self-esteem has improved. I had a real low self-esteem. I was very insecure when I came into the program. Thought everybody was out to steal from me, take from me. Um, so, I'll, I'll just end with, I would encourage anybody to give it a shot, give it a couple meetings, come in here and try to listen to those similarities and not all the differences. Everybody's story is so different. But I was told to hear those similarities. I tell you, a funny story because when I was in this outpatient treatment there was a lady in there who told her story she would she would lock herself in her room with her vodka bottle sit in the closet and her clothes were her friends and she would drink and when I heard that I was like okay get me out of this place I, I, I didn't do that that was not me but I did but I, later when I listened to the similarities I was the guy at two three four in the morning smoking weed by myself in my car why <laughs> right so I, it, the key the similarity there was isolation i was isolating when i used and drank so that was uh, starting to hear those things and, and really becoming open to hearing other people's story and relating was crucial for me so thank you for letting me share i'll pass thank you for sharing. it's my turn um, uh, i'm michael i'm an alcoholic um, 
I am a lot newer to the program than Matt is. I just passed six months, so I feel like that was a, that was a big deal. Um, you know, the, the the chips aren't supposed to like you know they aren't like achievements, but it's like a cool thing of like oh like you know what's how long it's been you know and um, so um, I started my drinking a lot later um, in life than some other people in the program. I, I waited till I got to college. I, I very much felt like when I was there, I was going to be, you know, like I, you know, I was away from my parents. I was away from anybody else who knew me. You know, I could just do whatever I wanted. Um, and, you know, there'd be no consequences, you know. Um, I, um, I, I very much didn't know it at the time, um, but I, 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 I started to use alcohol as a crutch. Um, I, I'd started off small, you know, I'd use it as like, oh, you know, everybody, you know, I don't really know people in this, in this party here. Um, so, you know, I'll just have something in my hand and, you know, that'll make me comfortable if I drink enough of them. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I definitely kind of fell into the trap of, you know, if, you know, if I'm nervous, then I'll need something to, like, fill the time. So I'll just, you know, be drinking this while I'm, you know, watching or, you know, talking to somebody. And all of a sudden, I'm drinking way more than I need to. Um, and now I can't, you know, function. Um, it uh, it kind of morphed. My, my drinking definitely kind of morphed uh, kind of as time went on. Um, it uh, ultimately led me to a number of different kind of lows that I didn't really know were lows at the time when, when I was experiencing them. I very much thought like, oh, you know, everybody's just being completely overreacting. Like, I have, I'm fine. Like, I am all good. Everybody else around me is just, you know, out to, you know, um, it, you know, for some reason, they just, they just, it must be some huge misunderstanding. I... You know, I know I'm not a I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just a sociable drinker who just you know has a little bit too much. And um, so um, often um, when it's it, when it started out, I would very much be drinking in kind of like social settings. Um, but I very much thought that because I was getting it like so drunk, I thought everybody else was too. Um, and I just became awful to be around. Um, I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't control myself. I couldn't, um, I, you know, not only was I, um, you know, not fun to be around, I was actively making people uncomfortable. Um, one of my lowest moments was when um, a club that I was on held kind of an intervention for me. It wasn't, it wasn't direct, it, like, they, they were very nice about it. They were very much like, oh, you know, we're here to just speak to the group here uh, about kind of experiences that they had. And at the time, I was like, oh, well, you know, I can see where they're coming from, but, like, no, that's, that's not really me. Um, so um, uh, time passed. Uh, I graduated. Um, I, um, I very much shifted... My drinking shifted from I would only kind of do it when I was like around people to very much, 
you know, I would just do it to, you know, it was my, it was my codependent, it was my codependent, you know, partner. You know, I would go to work, do what I needed to do at work, and then as soon as I got home, like, as soon as I got home, like, I locked the door, and then it's like, all right, no, no more rules. I'm all, I'm in my space here. I can, you know, as long as I stay in this space, nothing can really go, you know. Um, and um, that ultimately led me to some pretty dark places too. Um, what I didn't realize at the time is that I was very much using alcohol um, to either kind of suppress feelings that I was having or to use it in such a way where I would feel some other way. Thinking that like, oh, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it can be intimidating to meet new people in a new city. So instead of doing the things I need to do, no, I'll just stay in and then just get, you know, rip shit drunk. Um, I, uh, as time went on, uh, the pandemic hit, and I very much was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw no rules, you know? Uh, everything else is going crazy. Um, you know, why not start drinking, uh, you know, 10 in the morning? Oh, you know, uh, why not? Um, why not try and keep the party going? Like, why do I have to stop doing this if I'm just going to wake up and then, you know, do what I need to do? Um, so I very much used that as an excuse, and I didn't know it at the time, but that doesn't, you know, just because. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I didn't know that I was using alcohol in this way, but it was actively preventing me from doing the things that I needed to do in my life. Uh, it was actively, like, worsening my mental health. It was worsening uh, my friendships with other people. It was worsening my career aspects. Um, and um, it got to a point where I just lost, uh, I just lost a job, and I wanted to use, like, whatever little uh, like health, health insurance card that was left on before they shut it off. So I went to the doctor, I was like, hey doc, like, you know, my mental health has been bad before, it'll probably be bad again, kind of like what's going on. So we like set up a couple times. Um, I didn't realize, um, I was sober then, but the next couple meetings I was not sober. Um, and, and, and my still kind of way of denial about how bad the situation was, um, you know, I, I told the doctor, like, yeah, you know, I may have a drug and alcohol problem. Yeah, you know, I may not be sober right now, but, you know, it's definitely, I'm definitely not an alcoholic. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a drug addict. She, she was very kind about it. Essentially what she said was like, look, I really encourage you to get help. You know, I really think that it's the best, best in your interest to really take this seriously. Oh, thanks, like, I'm good, like, you know, I'm a big, tough man, like, don't you worry. So I showed up for the next one. I was not sober for that one. Um, and she said the same thing again. Like, instead of actively confronting me about it, she was very nice and just kind of planted the, the seed, and, you know, the seed, like, hey, maybe this is something you should do. Um, and I was like, wow, like, you know, I... I am actively talking about my mental health to my doctor, and I'm not even sober for it. Like, I seriously think this may be, you know, they may be connected. 
So she recommended I talk to like some like a addiction therapist. Um, I was not in a financial space to be able to do that. So I was like, all right, I don't. I mean, I can't pay, you know, 150 bucks a session. Like, what am I? Am I just gonna be doomed to this? She's like, oh, well, why don't you try? Um, you know, why don't you try AA? Why don't you try? There's like sobriety apps out there too. Um, I got one of them. Um, and in there, they had like a join live meeting section. So like you could, in the app, you could be, they, I, like you could join a meeting. And I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I guess if I'm being sober, I guess I'll, you know, go to the meetings. What I found was like, there is a community out there. They have, they have, have AA meetings every hour on the hour, 24 hours a day. Um, and um, that was kind of where I, I kind of like got got a little more interested in the program. Um, I came across kind of a community of people who were in similar or worse, sometimes better, shitty situations. Um, they were all, you know, in different parts of the country, sometimes the world, talking about similar things that I had been dealing with, similar ways that I had been using alcohol, similar... Um, you know, ways that I had been acting while I was drunk and in active addiction. And um, they encouraged me to go to in-person meetings in addition to, you know, my Zoom meetings. Um, and um, I started to go to in-person meetings. And um, what I found was, I, has been really good for me. Um, so uh, what I found was a community of people who all kind of experience similar things, are in different phases of their life, um, but are very much working actively to improve themselves every, you know, every chance that they can get. Um, it was a community of imperfect people. It was a group of, it was a, it was a group of folks where I wouldn't feel judged for things that I did, things that, um, ways that I, I treated people, um, you know, for my particular beliefs or whatever. Um, and, and I found a very, like, inspiring way of, um, of like, living life, of being able to kind of share what's, what's on your mind, what's in your heart, like, in whatever moment, context, whatever. And I thought that was really cool. Like, you know, we're talking about being honest in difficult situations, for example. And um, it was cool to not only hear people that I you know, counted on, that I saw regularly, that I, I felt I could speak candidly, and I felt like I had a relationship with you know, these people in this community where I felt trusted and respected to be able to be, be vulnerable with people that Honestly, like if I needed to cry about whatever situation, I I could do that and I wouldn't feel judged. I, you know, I would be able to get the support that I needed. I'd be able to, um, you know, get it out rather than keep it in. Um, and so, um, I got a sponsor. Um, sometimes they say take take it slow to get a sponsor. Sometimes they're like, oh, like you want to find the right person and make sure that you're a perfect match. And then I've like also like I've heard like literally just like most people are gonna be good. Like, you know, just pick somebody 
And if it doesn't work, then you can, you know, fire them, get somebody new. Like, as long as you're keep, keeping working with somebody, then they can, they can not only keep you accountable, but you can keep them accountable. Um, you know, find somebody who has a good amount of experience, who kind of knows uh, what, what, what it's been like, and, or what it was like, and what it will be like. Um, and um, the program has been really good for me. Um, I am in a much better space. Um, I am able to, I'm, I'm able to kind of feel a little bit more comfortable with myself. Um, and um, that hasn't always been the case. Uh, so I, um, you know, I'm grateful for the program. Um, and um, I, hope, uh, I hope that, um, that it can continue that way. So, awesome. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. Does anybody want to share? Did anybody hear anything that they can relate to or have a question or want to talk about it, anything? Uh, my name is Renee, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Renee. Hey, Renee. Um, I can relate to isolation. You know, rules and regulations and policies and procedures and always been a thing for me. And in my past, I had this thing like on my back here. You know, but it's my laundry room today. It's going to be a spiritual prayer room for me to connect with my spirituality and my higher power. Because that's one of the things being in and out of treatment from 96, 2000. I think that's it. I left into Jill's death in the institution. It don't make a difference. I already experienced all of through me not being committed or not sharing and getting out everything I need to get out because I felt like it ain't business. You know, I'll share what I need to share. I've had counselors tell me, fake it, time, make it, and didn't really have quite understanding. I just thought I knew everything because I read a lot. Mm. And reading is powerful, you know, but when you don't have the understanding and you don't work a program, that's just being dry, mm. you know, for me. Keep that on the eye. But uh, I did a lot of isolation. I'm an only child. I say, Fred, I come in this world by myself. <laughs> you know, I just tell myself things because I was in denial. But looking back on it and hearing what you guys said, I did a lot of isolation. I messed up a lot of money. I used and abused my family. My daughters, I have five daughters and three granddaughters. And uh, I was a mess. And now that I'm here, though I came in angry and just had, I'm still struggling with my emotions, you know, raising up in, a, in my environment with a lot of females, you know, survivor of the fittest. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just fucked up. But I'm okay with that today because I know that the woman in me and the woman that I used to be, like I told my kids, I, Everybody wants me to get help and get well. And they they read too, but they don't have understanding to the exact nature of my disease. They don't, I can't say that they don't believe that it's a progressive, ongoing. You tell somebody you got cancer, and they be like, oh, I'm so sorry. You tell somebody you're an alcoholic or an addict, they be like, okay, well, just stop. (laughs) (laughs) And I just look at them and I laugh, you know. 
because I'm grateful for this program that teaches me that it's a disease that's ongoing and it's progressive. And at my age, I know that um, I have autoimmune disease. You tell them that, and they be like, oh, you know, and they be like, oh, I hope your bones don't hurt because I have osteo. So considerate and passionate, but when I tell them, you know, just stop, mama, just stop, just get help. You know, just go ahead and do what you got to do, and you can come home, you can be the same person. But I'm not going to be the same person because the one thing that uh, kept me sick was my insanity, my selfishness, my greed, all the things you can name. That's what kept Renee sick. And um, I'm not going to be the same person because the same person did me here. So I have to say boundaries, and that's scary for me because I'm a warrior and and I'm a pleaser and a people person. I'm cross, I cross and dig things, you know. It, it might not be in the form of um, drugs. Um, I like to eat. I like to shop. I'm nosy. You know, I got all these little quirks and stuff, you know. I love cooking and stuff. I just do it excessively. So I need to, you know, go back and just take it one day at a time. Because I'm saying, I'm doing this for me, but then when I do things, I'm, I, in my mind, I'm doing it for other people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if for them to like me or for a reflection. It's just, we will bother her because she's a nice person and she's this and that. But um, I realized that today. I had to speak on that. Thank you for sure. Yeah, my isolation is a mother. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Who else could relate or had a thought or struggle? Anybody else want to share anything? Got 15 minutes or so. For yourself. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, well, I know I talked like at a 30,000 foot level about the steps, um, but I thought I'd just share a little bit more about what my experience was um, and how that step one, when it says we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable, I knew my life was unmanageable. There was no question about that. I, like, I knew I, I was at the point where I had surrendered. Um, but the part about powerless over alcohol, I didn't quite get that yet. Once I realized that that really was... That's why that's the first step. My sponsor said that's the only step you got to do 100% right. You got to realize that, that 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 you're powerless over whatever it is that substance is. 
Uh, that was really helpful for me because, you know, it, it doesn't mean, you know, hey, we kind of struggle with it. <laughs> doesn't mean, hey, we need to kind of cut back. It was like, okay, I'm powerless over it. It takes control. That was a big eye-opener for me. That's a powerful word, powerless. You know, I didn't want to be powerless when I came in here. I was a, I was a, a fixer. I was a people-pleaser. I was a go-getter. Something can't be powerless, you know, that powerful over me. But that was step one. And, and I will share, too, that, that there's, there are these little guides that are 15 pages or less, that like a little pocket guide, a pamphlet, if you will, that's kind of the cheat sheet study guide. Um, not study guide, but, but cliff notes. You remember in school they had these cliff notes? Mm. You could get these cliff notes for each step. You could get 1 through 12, these cliff notes. And that was very helpful for, for me. My sponsor bought the first step for me. And gave that to me, and, and it was really all about powerlessness, and then all about un- unmanageability, uh, because uh, that r- really mastering step one helped us then move on to step two, uh, where we realized that uh, we can be restored to sanity. That idea that makes me realize that okay, I'm insane. <laughs> That's what that means, like. I can't become restored to sanity until I realize and acknowledge that I have become insane. And that's what it, my life was. The, if, if I looked at the way I was dealing life from the time I got up to the time I went to bed, I can't relate to it today because it was so insane. It was a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, step three was this, uh, this concept of turning my will and my life over to the care of God as, as I understood God. So that was a really hard step for me that took some time and took some reading on and talking with my sponsor about I didn't really want to turn my higher power or my life over to anything. Uh, but today, I, I, every morning, I haven't missed probably three or four in four years but every morning I, I say the third step prayer. Uh, God, I turn my life over. It, you know, it, it, it just is turning my will and my life over for today to a higher power. And that really starts my life for that day on the right foot. It starts it off on the right foot. But that's the third step prayer. Um, step four, they said, was to take a fearless and searching inventory. So this whole uh, there were basically for those that haven't heard much about step four there were three categories that they talked about and the first one was a a resentment inventory who were those people that I resented and they say that if you resent somebody you're resending that over and over and uh, you know that situation that scenario that time they yelled at you that time that they stole from you that time that they did you wrong whatever the situation was if you they say if you play it over in your head multiple times more than three times or so then you're resending that you you probably have a resentment there and so i had to make a list of all these people that i resented that i was pissed at and that had hurt me that had, that, had, that had done me wrong and there's a there's a column system that they had on a piece of paper at they told me to make these columns and and put ultimately look at what my part was in that situation. Uh, so there was a resentment inventory. Then there was this uh, 
sexual conduct inventory, and there was this uh, fear inventory. And w- once I started getting these things on paper, I w- many of the things I told I wasn't going to share my, with my sponsor, finally got up the courage to talk to him about it so that there weren't any secrets. Um, but those were kind of the step four fearless moral inventory. Uh, a lot of times they say if you have a business and you anybody that has a, a, a nice productive business every now and then needs to take inventory of what goods they have on the shelf, what needs to be thrown away, what needs to be restocked, what needs to be moved around a little bit. I needed to take inventory of my life and that was a, a major part of that. Uh, so Step five is simply sharing that with another person in the program, with myself and my higher power. You're sharing those inventories and getting those skeletons out of the closet so that somebody hears about them and, and is there to talk me through that, those situations. Uh, step six and seven were, were about these. What, what's really neat in this, in this column system that they made us or showed us how to work through when, it, when, we're, when we're taking these inventories. When, when I looked at this part where it says, what was my part? After doing enough of these, there, was, there were trends. So I could see where I had been self-centered. I could see where I had been greedy with these, these people. I was stealing from clients, you know. I was doing all the, I started to see trends and those are what we call the character defects. And I was able to use those for step six, where it said we, we took a, a, an inventory and were able to, to make a list of, the, of the, these character defects. We asked God to take those away. That's step seven. Step eight was we made a list of all the people we had, had harmed or wronged. Uh, that's that list of people that in nine I, I ended up working on these you know I sent many people uh, during COVID um, I sent many people letters uh, men's letters apologizing for my part of the situation apologizing for what I did to, uh, to them and the, uh, wishing them the best letting them know what I was doing and how I'd taken a different direction in my life and I got a lot of good feedback. Some of them didn't call me back, didn't write back, <laughs> don't want to hear from me again. That's fine. I'd cleared off my side of the street. Step nine is about clearing off my side, about apologizing for what I did. So I'm free of that baggage. Um, step 10, every day in my journal, I have a journal. If you don't have a journal, I would suggest it. I have a journal and I do a, a little three things I did good, three things I did bad in the last 24 hours. It's It's a... Continue to take moral inventory. That's my way of saying, okay, I did this really well. I showed up at work on time today. Um, had, I took my daughter to school. That was awesome. Um, I stayed sober. <laughs> uh, three things I did bad might be I uh, raised my voice at my daughter. I overate <laughs> that chocolate pie I shouldn't have eaten. Oh. Or you know whatever it is, it's just a it's just a constant right. looking at myself on a daily, continual basis, and not just having to let these things pile up. So I have to do another step four. I don't want to do that every again. I'm done with that. And step eleven is to continue to have conscious contact with the higher power. That's that 
praying and meditating. I, I do five minutes of meditation every day. I, I don't do it perfectly. I don't do it every day. I try. Um, and then step 12 is helping other people that are that have been where you've been and trying to help the person that I once was. That's, that's step 12. So, um, Does anybody have any burning desires they want to say before we wrap it up here? It's, get, yeah. Five minutes. Take you guys to admit that you are powerless, so I'll surrender. Because <laughs> we talked about that in group today, so I have to have puffnies and spiritual moments. How long? Connected. How long did it take before I admitted I was powerless? I mean, <laughs> I knew it, but I didn't want to admit it. So you ain't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from the time he gave me the big book to read, it probably took 60 days, 30 days, somewhere around there. So you still had the book, but you you knew it was you, but you just couldn't come out and say it. I took a drink right before my first AA meeting. Oh, Lord. You know, I, I, that was, I had narrowed it down to, I wasn't going to drink bourbon, wasn't going to drink beer, just going to drink wine. I was drinking wine, drinking wine, and my therapist said, watch that bottle of wine. Sure enough, it was a, a bottle every night or more. And then it turned into, I'm just going to have a glass of night. Well, what the hell is good as a glass of night? What are you going to do with a glass? So finally it was like, I, I got I to gotta quit. I got to surrender. So it was a tapering. And I didn't quit everything at once. I didn't get off of the cigarettes, didn't get off of the weed, didn't get off of the pills, didn't get off of the chocolate cake. <laughs> didn't get off of, <laughs> you know. I, well, you know what I'm I saying. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I had to keep a couple of them until I got yeah. off of the, the, you know, as they say, I had to shoot the, 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 the closest alligator to the boat. What's going to kill me the first, the, the, the quickest? What's going to cause my wife to keep my daughter away another day? That, that was where I was at. Well, why don't we close with a serenity prayer? Okay. I appreciate y'all being here. I appreciate, thank you for my sobriety tonight. Thank you. So, let's say the serenity prayer if we, if we will, please. God, grant us the serenity. To, to accept, accept the things we can cannot change. change. Courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Keep coming back. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, guys. Thank you.